For as long as I can remember, in the Gentry household, we have told a story nearly every time we get together, and my dad hates it when we tell this story. It's back when my dad was preaching, he was a young preacher about my age, and my sister, three years old at the time, ran up on the stage at the end of the church worship service and jumped off. Now, my mom and dad were looking in the opposite directions at that moment, talking to people, but they both heard the snap. And they turn around to see my sister, three years old, clutching at her leg and screaming out in agony. And my dad walks up to her, he picks her up in front of everyone, brushes her off and says, ah, I'm sure she'll be fine. (laughs) Turns out two days later, when he took her to the hospital, her leg was broken. Now, my dad hates it when we tell that story. Sorry, dad, to broadcast that over the whole internet. It wasn't his most compassionate moment. And you would think that the number of times the Gentry family has told that story, that none of us would ever do something similar. But I've got a confession to make. A year ago, when my son broke his foot, I brushed him off, said, I think he's fine. And we waited over a day before taking him to the doctor. (laughs) It's so easy to minimize other people's pain. In fact, you know, sometimes we do it to the people we love the most. But that's not what we do at church, right? Paul says this about the body of Christ. In this long and sweeping section, 1 Corinthians 12, when he talks about the diversity of the body of Christ, how we have a bunch of people in one place with different gifts, different backgrounds, different callings. He then says this. He says, in the body, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all the parts celebrate with it. If one part suffers, we all do. And that's church. You know that we've been praying for our sister, Kathy Gilmer. She's this wonderful mom here at Highland, two daughters, wonderful husband, John. She was battling an illness that was very serious. And we thought for a few moments that she may not survive. And what I didn't know until she turned the corner, and she's doing much better now, thank you for your prayers, but what I didn't know at the time was that every night, a small group from Highland was gathering with John and her daughters in the hospital parking lot outside where Kathy was inside struggling for her life. And they were gathering every night just to pray for her. Every night. That's church. When one part of the body hurts, all the parts hurt with it. That's church, right? And that's actually what compassion means. Did you know this? What compassion actually means is to suffer with. To suffer with. That's compassion. And so today, church, what I'm going to ask you to do is to hurt, which is a strange thing for me to ask. Normally, I don't want any of you to hurt, but but what I'm going to ask you to do today is to hurt, not by yourself. I'm going to ask you to hurt together, because there are many in this church body today who are suffering, and they're suffering for all kinds of reasons. There are many in our church who are suffering and hurting because our nation just reached the 110,000 death mark in response to COVID-19. We haven't lost anyone at Highland due to COVID-19, but we have lost loved ones of family members here. Not only that, we've lost jobs at Highland due to COVID-19, and there are many at this church who are hurting along with our world right now due to this pandemic. There are also many at our church who are hurting and mourning the death of George Floyd. 
Like our elders shared last week, we are mourning his death as well, as well as the deaths of many other black men and women over the years. And today we hurt with those who hurt about these deaths. Many in our church are lamenting and hurting that we haven't been together in person for worship for over three months. It hurts to be apart, and many are hurting from that right now. And you know, many are also hurting on a Sunday morning from griefs they have endured years ago. I mean, think about that. There are people who've lost loved ones, maybe you, and that grief and that hurt never goes away. And every time you come to church, you come with a little bit of that sorrow still inside. And then there are those right now who are battling for their lives, who are fighting cancer or other illnesses, who are in that up and down journey of treatments, who are clinging to hope in Christ even as they are hurt. And so today, church, what I want to ask you to do is to hurt with them, to be sad with them. I'm not asking you to be sad for sadness sake. The Bible doesn't call us to just be sad, but when we are sad, and we bring that sadness to God, that's actually a form of worship. That's actually a considerable portion of the Psalms we find are these, are these windows into sadness that is brought to God. And we call sadness that is brought to God lament. And lament is worship. And so what I wanna ask you to do today is to lament with those who hurt in this church. Because when one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Now, this is a little bit different. This isn't something we practice a lot corporately as worship, although we do it so well privately and in small groups like that one that met outside the hospital for Kathy Gilmer. But it's not something we practice together all the time corporately. So here's what I'm asking you right now. I want you, as we worship together, to call to mind someone at Highland who may be grieving or hurting. You might even send them a text message and let them know that while you worship this morning and you focus on our Lord and Savior, that you do have them in mind. And I'm also going to ask you to do something else. If you have a candle, and we posted that on our social media this week to grab a candle. If not, you might go to the kitchen or somewhere else in the house and grab a candle. Here's what I want to ask you to do, to set that candle in front of you while you're watching this worship and worshiping with us. And I want you to light it right now. So in John, we read that Jesus is the light of the world, a light that shines into the darkness. And I've asked you to light this candle to represent the presence of God in Jesus Christ among us this morning. Even as we're scattered in homes about the city, I want us to see this light and be reminded that the light of Jesus Christ does not grow dim no matter the darkness we walk into together. And so this morning, church, let's lament. Let's worship together by bringing the sadness this body feels before the Lord who shines a light into that darkness. I was talking with a brother from Highland a few nights ago. He's an African-American dad here at Highland. And he told me something. He said, Eric, I'm having trouble sleeping. Just lie awake at night in sorrow and despair. I can't sleep. And when he said that, I was reminded of Psalm 77. The setting of Psalm 77 is a long and sleepless night. Listen to these first verses. <clears throat> I cry out loud to God, out loud to God so that he can hear me. 
During the day when I'm in trouble, I look for my Lord. At night, my hands are still outstretched and don't grow numb. My whole being refuses to be comforted. I remember God and I moan. I complain and my spirit grows tired. You've kept my eyelids from closing. I'm so upset I can't even speak. I think about days long past. I remember years that seem an eternity in the past and I meditate with my heart at night. I complain and my spirit keeps searching. Will my Lord reject me forever? Will he never be pleased again? Has his faithful love come to a complete end? Is his promise over for future generations? Has God forgotten how to be gracious? Has he angrily stopped up his compassion? It's my misfortune, I thought, that the strong hand of the Most High is different now. Now, if you're happy, Psalm 77 is a hard psalm to pray. But if you're not, then the questions that David is asking, the psalmist here is asking, are probably questions that you have asked before. If you've ever had one of those nights where you have been up late, tossing and turning, asking God those hard questions that come from the doubt that only appears late at night. God, have you rejected me? God, are you unhappy with me? God, do you not love me anymore? Have you forgotten me? Have you Have you changed, God? Now, as low as those questions bring us, if you're already low, those questions may actually bring you up because there's a comfort, isn't there, in knowing that there's at least somebody out there who knows how you feel, who hurts like you hurt. I'm reminded of two women at Highland. A little over a year ago, one of those women had the courage to share the story of a miscarriage that she had endured and the loss of this life that she had longed for. And she shared that from the stage and it was hard for her to do. And afterwards, there was a woman who approached her immediately in the audience, a woman who felt like there was no one else who understood what she was hurting from. And those two women bonded like this instantly. Now there's something about pain as disorienting as it may be with God, as much as it may keep us awake at night and keep us from sleeping, there is something about pain that connects us to other people. Michael Van Heist, our old preaching apprentice, pointed me to a story recently of Kate Baller. She's a university professor, a strong Christian, but she's been fighting cancer for some time. And she tells the story of waking up on the operating room table after a surgery. It was a surgery to remove a tumor inside of her. And she has this this wish for a moment that she could actually go back, back to before the surgery when the tumor was still inside. And she tries to explain that, that strange wish she felt. And she said it like this, it did feel like cancer was like this secret key that opened up this whole new reality. And part of that reality was the realization that our own pain connects us to the pain of other people. I don't know, maybe I was just a narcissist before, but like all of a sudden I realized how incredibly fragile life is for almost everyone. And that felt like a spiritual, I don't know, like gift. It's like you notice the tired mom in the grocery store who's just like struggling to get the things off the top shelf while her kid screams. And you notice how very tired that person looks at the bus stop. And then of course, 
all the people in the cancer clinic around me. And that felt like I was cracked open and I could see everything really clearly for the first time. There's a power in that kind of sympathy. And I think that's why Paul calls us in 1 Corinthians 12 to suffer together. He calls us to compassion, to suffer with those in the body who suffer because there's a power in that. And that's also why we pray the Psalms. I was introduced to the idea of praying the Psalms every day, one Psalm a day a couple years ago, and I've been doing that for a few years. And I'll tell you, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling pretty good. I had a good night's sleep. I get a cup of coffee and I sit down to pray the Psalms. I'm looking out at this beautiful day the Lord has made and I pray a Psalm like Psalm 77, which is this Psalm of lament and crying out to God. And on those mornings, it feels like this doesn't really work for me. (laughs) This isn't how I'm feeling this morning. This, This is not my prayer today. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that German who I've talked about before, He said, that feeling is exactly why the church needs to pray the Psalms. Because sometimes what we need to do is not to pray our own prayer. We need to pray somebody else's prayer. And then on those mornings where I wake up and I pray a Psalm like Psalm 77 and I'm not sad, what I'm doing in those mornings or what you are doing in those mornings is you're praying the prayer of somebody who was up all night. Somebody who couldn't sleep. They were so upset. They were asking such difficult questions for God. You're praying their prayer. You're you're in solidarity with them. You're suffering with them. That's compassion. And it's good for us to hurt sometimes. It's good for us to hurt together. It's not just good that you pray that prayer for them. It's good that you pray that prayer for you. So if you opened your heart up to that this morning... You know, I asked you at the beginning of this worship service, and I'm thankful to Brecian and the team and all those who participated for leading us in a service of lament. And I've asked you, would you open up your heart to those around you at church who are hurting right now? We've got a young man in our youth group. He's 17, 17. He posted on social media this. He said, as a black male, I can say that this burden is becoming too heavy to carry. I want to cry. And I feel as if I need to cry. But I have no tears to cry. I'm emotionally drained. This is my cry for help. He said. And young man, if you're listening right now, what I want you to hear and know is that we're crying with you. We're sorry. And this morning, there are going to be thousands of people who worship with us, who hear you and are crying with you. We got a young dad here at Highland, a young family. They've got four, four young kids. And um, just a few months, or not even a few months ago, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> because of the pandemic, the business that he works for, the group that he works for, had to lay off a massive number of people and he lost his job. He's got four young kids. He's a leader here at this church. He's a servant at this church. And what I want to say to him and to his lovely bride and to his kids is that we hear you. But we're crying with you today. And then I mentioned at the top of this 
service that we have just passed 110,000 deaths in America due to COVID-19. And I rejoice that we have not lost anyone at Highland from the coronavirus, but we have lost brothers during this time. In fact, one of those brothers went into the hospital for something else and we expected that he would get better in the hospital. I mean, that's why you take people to the hospital. You think they're going to get fixed there, but that doesn't always happen. And his family drops him off at the hospital thinking that he'll be well again. And he passed away there. He didn't have coronavirus, but coronavirus kept them from being with him in his last moments. And what I want to say to his bride, who is his bride for years, to his son, who sits here in this room and worships with us, to his daughter, who's out of town, what I want to say to each of them is that we are holding you right now, right here in our hearts. And we're crying out with you. The other day, I was talking to a sister at Highland She's been really struggling. And I asked her if she had shared that with with anybody else. She shook her head and said, no. She said, I don't want to bring anybody else down. And what if she knew that when she was down, that she would find us there? It's not a burden to lament with those who lament. It's not a burden to suffer with those who suffer. It's a privilege. We suffer with those who suffer because he suffered first for us. And that's what we're doing today. Now, don't hear me saying this morning that I think suffering is meaningless. I don't. Paul said this in Philippians. This is Philippians 3.10. The righteousness that I have comes from knowing Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the participation in his sufferings. And maybe that's one reason Paul calls us to suffer together, that not not only is he binding us together in that moment, but if the church, if the body of Christ does not suffer, then we won't know Christ fully. So not only does he yoke us together in the moment of suffering, but he yokes us to Jesus Christ, to himself. Now, still, Lament, like we're doing this morning, although it has its place and there are times for it, it may not help you sleep at night. So what do you do when it hurts? Well, let's read the rest of the psalm, starting in verse 11. But I will remember the Lord's deeds. Yes, I will remember your wondrous acts from times long past. I will meditate <clears throat> I will meditate on all your works I will ponder your deeds God your way is holiness Who is as great as you God You are the God who works wonders. You have demonstrated your strength among all peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. You redeemed the children of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and reeled. Even the deep depths shook. The clouds poured water. The skies cracked thunder. Your arrows were flying all around. The crash of your thunder was in the swirling storm. Lightning lit the whole world. The earth shook and quaked. 
Your way went straight through the sea. Your pathways went right through the muddy waters. But your footprints left no trace under the care of Moses and Aaron. <clears throat> so one of the rules of preaching is you always have a tissue in your pocket. <laughs> but in this digital preaching moment, I don't have a tissue in my pocket. So let me just gather myself here. And I'm sorry, I'm having to use my hands. I'll be sure to wash them before I touch anything else in the building. Oh, goodness. Got me off guard there. Whew. Do you notice how abruptly this psalm ends? It ends with this. You led your people like sheep under the care of Moses and Aaron, and it ends. Many of the scholars who've written about this psalm say that maybe that's because David has finally fallen asleep. He was despairing. He was in sorrow. He couldn't sleep. And so what he did was he began to remember all that God has done in the past. The wondrous deeds and faithfulness of God throughout the years. And he begins to recount those stories in his mind and as he recounts those stories, instead of counting sheep, as he recounts the stories of God's faithfulness, he finally falls asleep. Church, I was struggling a few days ago. Apparently, I still am. <laughs> I was struggling a few days ago, and uh, I was in a staff meeting. And I promise this does not happen all the time. But I was just burdened by the sorrows of the world and the sorrows of our church. You know, one of the, one of the um, great honors of being your minister, and all the other ministers on staff, our elders certainly know this, one of the great honors is carrying the burdens that you carry with you, and it, it can be heavy at times. And in our staff meeting, that heaviness just hit me, and I would just lost it. I just began to weep in the staff meeting, and our staff was just wonderful. I mean, they all just encouraged me all day long and sent me these kind text messages and stuff throughout the day and stopped by my office. They were just wonderful. I trust those people. That's probably why I was able to be vulnerable with them. But I went home. My heart was still pretty heavy. And I get a text about an hour later. And it's a text from Randy Harris. So many of you know Randy Harris. He was my graduate uh, professor at Abilene Christian University. I got to work closely with him. He's taught me so much of what I know about um, prayer. And he sends me a text, and the text is just three words. You doing okay, question mark? And I said, did Alan Black tell you to call me? <laughs> he said, no, I just had you on my mind today. And so I unloaded my burdens on him, and he helped me to carry him. That night I went on a walk with Lindsay, I was holding her hand, and I began to tell her about how of all the days that he would reach out to me, he reached out to me today. And in that moment, I just felt the gentle kindness of God, that he knows what I'm struggling, and he believes in what I'm doing, he believes in this church. And he is going to always be kind when we're hurting. And I'll tell you what, I slept really good that night. Church, today we have lamented with those who lament. We're suffering with those in this body who are suffering today. But here's what we're always going to do. We are always going to continue to tell and repeat the wondrous deeds that God has done for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.